And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm coming at this a little bit later than maybe I uh, I wanted to. I had this set on my calendar for earlier in the day, but uh, it's currently 1.30, and I'm just getting to it right here. So, hey, you know what? I plan to get this launched earlier, and then stuff happened. Um, I got things got out of the uh, things got out of order a little bit, but uh, here we are. Here we are. So it's uh, episode 95. It's part two of our Q and A. No surprises there. We knew that was coming. So, um, just a few things that I had to get uh, done over the weekend you know it's kind of kind of a weird weekend um took yesterday off had a cheat meal which was nice um this morning i've actually been doing a little bit of car shopping which uh, was unexpected you know i've been kind of thinking about it a little bit and one of my clients mentioned that she was going to be going car shopping you know one of the things i I ask as part of my check-in process is, um, tell me something, you know, positive about the week. I don't care if it's training, diet related, whatever, just, you know, I'm trying to get people to think with a more positive headspace. And, uh, I think she answered that question with, well, I'm going car shopping this weekend. I'm like, all right, cool. And then it kind of got, got in my head a little bit and started thinking about it. So I do, I've gone, done a little bit of digging as well and driven some things. So, and then my issue there is, um, I'm always like super methodical, Mr. OCD, like let's get a spreadsheet going for everything. And for some reason, car shopping has never fallen into that, um, space with me before. Um, like I just go and I, I get this emotional attachment to something. And I'm like, I'm going to take six months to find the right car. And then two weeks later, I'm driving something new. That's pretty much how it's always worked. So, um, I'm trying not to rush it this time. Take my time, no rush. So, um, anyway, dri driven a handful of things so far and just crunching numbers and that kind of stuff and doing comparison charts, feature checks. Um, you know, we've got this trim line, this option package, you know how it goes. Shopping for a car can be a pain in the ass, but thankfully, uh, I plan on doing a lot of it from home uh, just because it's 2018 and, uh, I can do pretty much everything except drive, um, here, which is great. And of course you need to sit in it. You need to feel it, I think, but, um, as far as like determining the nuts and bolts of what you want and what's necessary and financially what's feasible and realistic, um, you can do all that at home. So I'm, I don't plan on uh, talking with uh, with sales reps any longer than I have to. So anyway, um, we've got a ton of stuff to uh, to get here. So it's all Q and A today, um, but there's a lot of Qs, and so it's my job to bring the As. Um, I feel like that's sounds borderline questionable, but I'm going to roll with it. So. This is once again to enter into the raffle um, for the clothing giveaway. And so in honor of that also, um, I did put up a new design this last weekend. It's officially rolling out tomorrow, um, Tuesday, but uh, it's actually up online right now on Facebook. So if you go there, you can check it out. Um, it's... Uh, three-quarter sleeve um, baseball style tees, unisex. So a bunch of different color options for that. Um, but those are up online. That's part of the uh, the option. Um, it's part of the full lineup um, for whoever wins the raffle as well. So anyway, um, let's. Uh, without further ado, we got a lot of stuff to cover here. So let's just jump right into it. I'm going to grab one of these at random. I don't know what it is. And uh, we're going to see uh, see what see what this person says. So uh, rolling the dice here. Let's hope for a good one. Hi, this is Angela calling from Washington State with a gym rant for the week. One of the things that drives me crazy in the gym is when you have a group of CrossFitters that come in and dominate the gym by setting up a whole bunch of different stations that they're going to use for their different CrossFit exercises. Go to a CrossFit gym to do CrossFit is my plea. 
the exercise that I find to be the most disturbing is when they get these like plastic aerobic type risers and they stack up like 10 risers so that they can create a really high box jump for themselves. And so they're jumping up on this really unsteady, unstable aerobic bench that's stacked up like 10 risers high. And I'm just waiting for one of these people to go crashing through the wall of distraction and all the TVs and the mirrors. So CrossFitters, please go to a CrossFitter gym. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so not technically a cue for me to A, but nonetheless, there it is. And I didn't specify, like, it's got to be a question. I just said call in. So um, totally, uh, totally by the book there. Um, Angela, yeah, so I think part of it also is, um, you know, you, you don't get bonus points for saying something that I'm going to agree with wholeheartedly, but I think you know where I'm coming from on this one. I uh, Yeah, I agree. So um, the problem is CrossFit gyms are kind of expensive. Um a membership at a CrossFit gym is going to cost more than a typical gym. And typical gyms, they know that there's money to be made in letting the CrossFit uh, people come in there. So um, like the gym where I go to, Armor Gym in Knoxville, um, they have a space set up that is kind of geared for you know, CrossFit type areas. There's a space where there's um, there's four stations and it's just floor space with barbells, but there's um, bumper plates loaded up in between so they can be pulled from either direction. Um, they've got uh, 50 yards of artificial turf for doing sprints or sled drags or whatever. And then right next to that, there's a big multi-station where you can set up, um, you know, squat racks. Um, there's actually like ladders to climb. Uh, you can do pull-ups, um, set up TRX crap, whatever over there. So they, they've kind of recognized that and they've set up, they've got a couple rowing machines as well. So they've set that up specifically for those people, um, to, to do that. And, uh, I, I hate them for it. <laughs> like this gym would be so much better without that space because, they, they bring the CrossFitters in there. And so I, I've got some clients who participate in CrossFit. You know what? You're lovely people. I don't hate you. I, I hate the shit that you do and, and the way you, you fuck up a commercial gym when you come in and do that shit. Um, so if you're going to a CrossFit facility, that's great. You know what? That's geared for you. But as far as you know, trying to do a CrossFit workout in a commercial gym, kindly go eat some broken glass, please. Um, now, unless you're going to modify it a little bit, like somebody who wants to come in and work on their clean. Okay, great. That's fine. That's fine. If you want to do cleans and then go over here and do box jumps and then go run some sprints and then do your double unders and crap like that and you're taking up all this space and you're basically just being a hazard that other people have to work around, no. No, not okay with that. And uh, frankly, I think gyms kind of need to set up some rules because a lot of that stuff gets to be unsafe for people that aren't paying attention. Um, so, yeah, it's a problem. And I will say... People that want to work on their clean, want to work out, want to work on their snatch. Okay, cool. Uh, I would say I have no problems with it, but I have a big ass problem with that, and that is that when I go into a commercial gym, I I am not expecting to be hearing people dropping barbells from overhead, and it is the most obnoxious shit ever. And I have ranted about that plenty on here before, so I won't do it again. Um, but nonetheless, it, it, it startles me. It scares the hell out of me. And I've screamed out in the gym before, like, what the fuck was that? I mean, I've, I've done that before. It was, it's just, I, I can't help it. I just startle easily. And that's my natural response. So, um, Angela, I hear you. I feel you. What, what do we got next? Hey, Darren, it's Lana. And my question for the drop set this week is what, how do you determine what an, an effective growth season would be like as far as how much time 
Is it heavier weight, lighter weight? Um, what constitutes an effective growth season? Thanks. Ah, good question. Thank you, Lana. So I, uh, I have, <laughs> I have uh, solicited um, questions from clients. So that was Lana with her contribution. Thank you. Much appreciated. So um, what constitutes an effective growth season? That is a good question. So basically, let, let me take it in the, the simplest terms possible. If you're growing, it's effective. And even if you're growing in some less desirable areas, that's okay. Um, because I've heard bodybuilding being described before as really just nothing more than the manipulation of body fat while you're trying to grow muscle, which I think that's fair. Um, so understanding that, you know, when you're trying to grow, you will put some on. If, if you can minimize that, great. But it's not essential because, you know, as part of the process, we understand what it's going to take to get that off. And so it's a question of how much discipline do you want to have now in order to make your cut easier? Or do you want to really live a little, maybe put on a little bit more weight that isn't totally necessary, and then you know have to put in a little bit more work on your cut to get rid of that? That is totally a personal preference. Um, like, and, and you are welcome to change your mind on that at any at any point as well. Like I would say, um, when I was cutting um, recently, I was getting towards the end of that, and I'm like, man, I need to be a little bit more uh, measured in my off season so I don't get quite so sloppy, um, so I don't have to clean up quite so much mess on my next cut. And then, of course, what happens? Well. <laughs> the pendulum swingeth the other way and then once the cut's over it's like man it is nice to not be cutting anymore I'm gonna eat a little bit here and there and it's okay and you know the thing is um, understanding the expectation of performance changes that come with that territory so as you eat more what I like to do is make um, typically more subtle and slightly smaller increments in caloric intake as we go from uh, as we switch gears and go from a cutting phase uh, into a growth phase uh, because what I tell people is okay we're plugging in these calories as an extra you know 250 calories something like that I want you to get an extra 250 calories worth of performance out of your workouts this week. Like, you know, that that coming in, that's extra fuel. Now, it's not going to be like, wow, now, you know, I, before I was benching 100, now I can bench 200. It's not going to be anything like that. You, you may see some weights go up. You may just find it's a little bit easier to push for some additional reps. You may just find it's a little bit easier to bring a higher level of intensity, higher level of aggression to your lifts. So as long as we are realizing a, a, an increase in performance in some way from those extra calories that we're bringing in, that's what it's all about because that will lead to growth because we're forcing progressive overload. And if we're intelligent with how we um, adjust our programming, keep the training updated, and then we just kind of keep an eye on things um, during the off season. And that's one of the things that I like to do there is it's kind of, um, I don't want to say it's a little bit more hands off, but it's definitely very much a, a process management role as a coach. Like I, I tend to always look at things like uh, uh, on when we're cutting, it's all about week to week, week to week, week to week. Are we seeing improvement? Are we seeing improvement? Are we moving in the right direction? Um, how does it feel? Are you dying? You know, anything like that. Um, in, in growth, I would say it's kind of the same thing. So there's a lot of week to week stuff. We're, we're comparing, we're contrasting. Now we're trying to grow and changes in muscle growth are going to be harder to recognize and realize over a shorter period of time. So, you know, what we're looking at is a, a little bit of performance based stuff during a growth phase, like how do things feel? Um, but then also we always want to continue to zoom out and look at things like from the start of the growth phase till now. So, you know, the, the last seven weeks, the last nine weeks, the last 11 weeks, um, 
Does it feel like we're moving in the right direction? Follow Darren on um, Instagram. Are we happy with what we're seeing? And are we still comfortable, profiles, um, comfortable enough that we can uh, be okay with ourselves? Like there can get to be a point where you put on enough body fat and everybody's got their own threshold for this. For some people, it's like, oh, um, you know, my, my seventh and eighth ab are getting blurry now just a little bit. They aren't quite as sharp. My, my ab veins aren't quite as pronounced. So, ooh, I'm not really cool with that. And for those people, I would say, chill the hell out a little bit. You can get a little softer than that, and it's okay. Um, and, and then some people will be like, well, you know what? It's, it's getting really hard to suck it in. I think I can kind of make out some abs a little bit if I'm flexing really hard. But, uh, you know, whew, okay. Um, or like, yeah, I, I can't go up an entire flight of stairs at once. I've got to stop halfway because um, I'm too winded. I'm too out of shape. Some people are okay with that. Um, so you've got to have, you've got to be able to consider your own personal comfort level in there as well. And don't be afraid to make decisions based on that, but also don't be afraid necessarily to push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit, depending on where you are. Um, if you're comfortable being fat and happy, maybe it would do you good to be a little, uh, little less comfortable, um, a little less fat and happy. So, and you know, if, if you're just hanging on to, you know, every last little cut and shred that you've got, I think you could do yourself a world of good if you let go of that a little bit and let your body cycle and fluctuate a little bit more. So, what constitutes an effective growth season? It's different for everybody. Um, how long should it be? You know, for some people, it could be years. Absolutely. For some people, um, it could be six to eight weeks. That's on the short side of things. You're not going to realize a whole lot in there. But, you know, sometimes if we've got a, a, a gap of that length between shows, I'll try and see if we can eke out a little bit of growth in there while still keeping things reasonably tight. Um, uh, lighter weight, heavier weight, really hard to say on that one. I'm always encouraging heavier weight, but we can't do that at the expense of form. Um, but I think with extra calories in your system, you'll find that you can typically go a little bit heavier. And I think it's good to help kind of recalibrate your internal intensity scale and try to go a little bit heavier, assuming that you can do so and uh, maintain good form. So great question, though. Very good question. What do we got next? Hi, Darren. It's Erin. Um, last year when I did my first competition, I had met a lot of women who um, – had told me that they had done shows back to back to back, usually maybe like three in a two-month span. What is your opinion on that? Because I am looking into maybe potentially doing that next year um, now that I kind of see um, the benefits of it. I mean, you're already in shape. Why not hit a couple in a row? Um, what do you think about doing this? Thanks so much. I like how after these questions, I'm always saying, okay, what do we got next? Um, as if I'm talking to a producer or something that's plugging these in for me. Um, I don't know. It sounds more official when I do that. So Aaron, thank you. Good question here. So back-to-back um, -back or back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back shows, you said maybe three in a two-month span, something like that? Yeah. So um, I think what you said really resonates there is like while you're there, while you're in competition shape, why not? So it depends on where you're at in your whole competitive journey. So if you're just starting out and you want to get your feet wet, you want to get some stage experience, I think there's a lot of value in that. If you are competing at a slightly higher level, like maybe you've won a show, um, maybe you have competed nationally before and you're doing a local show to re-up your national qualification. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It makes more sense to 
you know, it, it's kind of risky this way, but it depends on the division you're in. It depends on where your physique is at, what your experience level is like. If you need to re-up your national qualifier, um, like let's say you took a, a year off or something like that, then you could say, well, I'm going to do this show in April, and then I'm going to do junior nationals, you know, junior USA, whichever the Charleston show is in May. Um, I was getting confused. Um, one's in Chicago, one's in, in Charleston. So the, the earlier one, the one that's in May. Um they would be like, I'll get requalified in April, and then I'll do the show in May. Well, okay, assuming you get requalified. So mm, there's that. Um, I think a safer thing would be if you um, re-up your national qualification before it was set to expire. So um, that's typically the smarter move. Um, so, I mean, unless you're just an absolute beast and you know you're going to go into that show and you're like, I got this, whatever, which I think that's a really dangerous mindset to have, especially if you've already registered for said national show. Um, <laughs> boy, that's putting all your eggs in one basket. I am um, all about risk mitigation, so I would not encourage anything like that. Um, but if you are just, you know, not really, you're doing the local regional show circuit, you're not necessarily looking to compete at a national level, but you're just doing it because, you know, it's a fun experience you want to compete and you enjoy it great cool so um I, I do encourage back-to-back -back shows just because I think for somebody who does this the idea is you want to get better each time out and there, there's two ways in which you can get better one is to improve your physique and the other is to get experience improve your stage presentation and get more comfortable and the only way you can do that second one is by doing shows you know you can practice your posing all you want but you know just getting more comfortable with the show day routine what it feels like on stage um, when you're doing um, group call outs when you're doing your individual routine or walk um, just having that stage experience and also every time you do it I find that it, it slows down in your head just a little bit more because the first time you go and do it, the first show, it's a whirlwind. You might be up there for three minutes and it's going to feel like three seconds. You're going to get off stage and you're going to be like, I have no idea what just happened. It was a blink of an eye. It was too fast. Every time you do it, it slows down a little bit. So there's tremendous value in doing repeat or back-to-back -back shows just for additional stage experience. Now, I would say I'd want to have my cake and eat it too, figuratively speaking. So I would not advocate doing back-to-back -back shows like on consecutive weeks just because we'd want to have a chance to improve a little bit. So I have a client right now, Melissa in Colorado. Um, she did a show um, a couple weeks ago, and she's got one coming up this weekend, which we weren't necessarily planning on doing it, but based on the experience she had with the first one, she's like, I think I'd like a crack at that one as well. So um, we decided to do it, and it's actually this Sunday, which is odd for a show, but it's on Sunday. Um, so the the thing there is because there were about three weeks between shows, we've had a chance to make some conditioning improvements and we're both a lot happier with how she's coming in for this second show. So um, a, a few weeks doesn't sound like a whole lot, but if you're feeling good, you're not, you don't have like prep fatigue or anything like that. Mentally, you're feeling good. Um, there's nothing stopping you from doing a show and coming in with better conditioning and then you get a little bit more stage time as well. So yeah, while you are um, kind of in the zone, in the ballpark for where your conditioning needs to be no issues at all with doing back-to-back -back shows i think it's smart and it's also cost effective because you're making better use of your npc card since it's good for a calendar year especially if you're doing a show later in the year do one and that was one of the things that melissa said as well she's like you know i might as well get another use out of my npc card since i just paid for it for this one show so i can use it again three weeks later absolutely i mean there's other expenses to consider there but as far as bang for your buck that's another thing that uh, that should factor into your thinking there so good question aaron thank you next up we have 
Hey, Darren, this is Tasha from Temple, Texas. I had to call in my second question to get into this raffle, hopefully. Um, my question is about joint health. Uh, my husband's actually brought it up to me before, but I think that he was alluding to that power lifters do that. So my question is, is do bodybuilders do that? And the reason why so far I haven't had any major joint issues while lifting, but, you know, I have some wrist issues um, that come up here and there, but I've kind of figured that out with wrist support. But I didn't know if after, say, you've done your competition, if you need to focus on joint health for a little bit and then get back into the gym, you know, focusing on your next goal. Hope everything is well. Thank you so much. Love the podcast and all that you do. Bye. Ah, thanks, Tasha. A little double dip. I think we had you on Friday as well. So that's okay. There's nothing against the rules about that. Um, so good question here. Joint health. Um, so let's take it uh, big picture. First of all, is joint health a concern for bodybuilders? Absolutely it is just because it is a, uh, it's a marathon. It's a longevity game. So um, if you are, if you have any kind of um, arthritic issues at all, is that going to impact your, your bodybuilding journey? Yeah, it is. Now, does it have to cripple it completely? No, but it has to impact it. You need special consideration. You need to do things to take care of your joints. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think what you're talking about here specifically is like, and you alluded to this towards the end, post-meet or post-competition. Is there anything you have to worry about? Now, I'd say for bodybuilders, no, just because um, not usually. Now, of course, if you are somebody who just has joint issues generally, um, then yeah, you might benefit from some extra time out of the gym just to chill out and you know recover and give your body a little bit of a break from the beating you've been putting on it. But um, for powerlifters, because they are putting such a large compressive load on so many joints as they go through their, you know, possibly lifetime PRs that they're hitting in their, in their meets. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're only doing one rep, but that one rep takes a lot out of you and it puts a lot of stress on some of those on, on, on some of your joints. So, um, it makes sense for them to, especially because they are performing, on their on their competition day, bodybuilders are not. You're posing, but you're not going through like a three hour workout or anything like that. Now, granted, I mean, you know, powerlifters they have a, might have a meet that takes three hours, but they're not doing necessarily a ton of lifts. But the ones that they're doing are very physically demanding. So, yeah, it makes sense for them to chill out a little bit and take some time off post meet. For bodybuilders, you're typically going into a show with. Um, at least one, maybe two, maybe three days of full rest going into it, like maybe some light cardio, but one, two, or three days out of the gym completely. So um, you should be, you know, show day comes around, you should be rested, you should be feeling good aside from really being thirsty as hell. Um, but afterwards, um, the day after, I mean, you should be feeling pretty good and, you know, it depends on how your prep played out. Um, you might feel, and just, you know, I always, I always talk about, you know, the size of your motor as well. Like how big of an engine do you have? There are some people they have just got a big motor and they go, um, show day, they, uh, they, they kick ass and then they go eat like a beast. And then they wake up the next day. Like I'm going to hit a little faster car. I'm going to go lift around noon because damn it. I got all these calories in my system. I'm going to work them out and I feel great. So why not? And other people, and I would put myself in this category. Like after my last cut, I probably went back a little sooner than I should have not for, for joint 
health or anything like that, but just for overall fatigue, I could have used a few days off to chill out. So, um, my, my photo shoot was on a Thursday. That was my show day. So I took Friday off. No, no. I, I went back. I went for a lift on Friday because I've been out of the gym since like, you know, Tuesday or something like that. So I'm like, I can go lift. Yeah, why not? Um, plus, I ate like a jackass Thursday. So my theory was, well, let's, you know, use some of those calories. So um, I went in on Friday and then the weekend rolled around. And that's kind of when it hit me like, I feel like ass. Like I am just beat. I need a break. I need to rest. So I took that weekend off, went back in on Monday and felt much better. So, um, yeah, it, it really, uh, really kind of depends. Um, but for joint health specifically, no, no. Now for overall adrenal fatigue, central nervous system support. I mean, yeah, you might want to take a little bit of time off. Um, you know, just cardio fatigue as well. Um, but for joints no, cause you should be pretty rested on again, unless you have, joint related issues going into it, in which case you're going to know, you're going to listen to your body and you're like, yeah, I can't pull this off. I need a break. I need to take a week out of the gym. But generally speaking, that's not something that I would say is typically necessary. Uh, next. Hey, Darren, it's Lisa from Canada calling. And my question stem from having recently done my second DEXA scan. I did my first one in July and the second one in late November. And the report gave me not only my body fat composition, but also a lean and fat body mass comparative um, view between the first and the second scans. So the report showed I put on eight pounds of mass, evenly split, four pounds fat, four pounds lean body mass, and of the muscle mass growth, 90% of my back and 0% change in my legs, which struck me as odd because I have been working my legs hard, and it also doesn't align with what I'm visually seeing. So this leads me to a few questions. Number one, how valid are DEXA scans as a bodybuilding progress measurement tool? Number two, how fast does muscle grow and what's a good rate of growth, especially for a natural athlete? Number three, I know a caloric surplus is needed to build new muscle, but are there any guidelines or ratios around how much overall fat and muscle gain is needed to make one pound of muscle? And four, the reverse question, what's the expected rate of a muscle of muscle fat loss when in a cut? So All right. Thank you, Lisa. So, yeah, we uh, got cut off there at the end. I guess there might be some kind of uh, uh, limit to message length. I don't know. I hadn't looked into that. So DEXA scan, yeah, so... DEXA scan is supposedly like the end-all, be-all of body composition tools. Um, I have not found it to be any more accurate um, than in-body or hydrostatic weighing or anything like that. So you'll, you'll find everybody that says, this is, this is it, because, you know, look at the picture it gives you. Look at the breakdown. It tells you exactly what's going on. Yeah, but there's still margin of error involved in this stuff. So... Um, and typically, I mean, I don't know, you know, clearly <clears throat> Canada is going to be a little bit different than the U S. Um, and even, you know, some, some facilities have access to this, but oftentimes for a DEXA scan, you're going to pay for that, pay a pretty penny for it. And, uh, it's just not worth it. I mean, you know, a, a DEXA scan isn't going to tell you anything that you can't tell with an honest assessment of yourself. Same thing with an in-body, a bod pod, any of that crap. So, um, the thing is for, for people who like, having the numbers to look at, then it can be kind of reassuring and confirming. But still, um, it, it's very rare that I get uh, somebody who sends me results from a scan like that. And I say anything other than like, well, yeah, we knew this, right? Now we have numbers attached to it, but eh, this confirms what we already knew. So um, as to the questions, how valid are those scans? You know, most of those are going to be plus or minus two to 5% margin of error when it comes to body fat percentage. So that means if you're 10%, that means it could have you anywhere from 
five to eight percent all the way up to twelve to fifteen percent. That is a big ass range. Enough so that that I would go ahead and say that's pretty worthless. Not really telling us a whole lot. So um, I don't put any stock in those. Uh, you, if anybody who's listening to this, they know. Um, I, I don't encourage people to go do that stuff. Uh, I don't want people spending their time on that. If it's if there's a cost associated with it, I certainly don't want you spending your money on it. Um, if you want, great. Get a, a little bioimpedance scale at home that will check your body fat percentage. It's going to be off as well, but at least that's free and doesn't take you any time to do it. So, you know, uh, I'd say it's probably a little less accurate than some of the other methods, but given the margin of error, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like, you know, if you... Uh, if you drive off the road and you end up in a lake, does it matter if you are at the edge of the lake or in the middle of it? No, you're still in the fucking lake. So big deal. Um, good rate of growth ratios of, you know, like all of these things are going to be very, very, very person dependent. Um, like for me, if I can go up, let me just make up some numbers here. If I can go up 15 pounds and see five pounds of muscle and 10 pounds of fat, hot damn, I'm going to be thrilled with that. Um, other people might say, are you kidding me? That is really sloppy. But I just know that if I'm going to put on muscle, you know, the, and I've talked about this before with growth, and it's like I can put on just muscle by keeping my calories lower. I mean, I don't know if I can, just because I don't know if I can keep my calories lower when I don't have to. Uh, you know, I like to eat, I like food. Um, so let's say hypothetically, let's say I'm a robot and I can just do whatever I've been programmed to do. I can run just a little above maintenance or like right at maintenance, just a little bit above it and just bust my ass in the gym, put on exclusively muscle, but it's going to be at a rate that's slow enough that it's going to be hard for me to realize any changes. Now I'm a robot, so that doesn't really bother me too much because I'm just following the plan. But if I'm not a robot and I'm a guy who is emotional and I tend to get impatient about things sometimes, um, and I see this slow rate of increase, it's going to discourage me a little bit. So I always tell people when you're on a growth phase, you don't want to just play to the scale and say, we need to get that number going up. We need to get that number going up because, you know, it tends to make for some sloppy decisions. But at the same time, if we can see that number go up um, and we're, we can tell we're putting on fat, yes, we're putting on some muscle with it as well, but it can kind of keep you going and you can feel like, okay, this is productive. You know, I'm putting on some fat that I'm going to have to lose, but still, um, staying mentally engaged and staying focused on the long-term process is huge, huge and not to be discounted. So it doesn't have to be clean. Um, and a lot of, it takes a certain mindset to be able to do a clean bulk because it is going to be slower. Um, and it's going to be harder to, um, stick with it for long enough to really realize the gains, I think. And, you know, some people would disagree with that, and that's fine. Because um, for some people, they they wouldn't necessarily have a big issue with that. It would be very difficult for me, personally, to do that. Um, and then some people, they just put on muscle a lot easier than others. Uh, and some people, they got to really, really kick and scratch and claw and fight for um, every last little ounce of muscle. Um so as um, you know, a former colleague of mine once said, uh, you measure fat loss in pounds and muscle gain in ounces. And I would say when you've been at it for long enough, especially as a natural athlete, we can adopt that to say you measure fat loss in pounds and muscle gain in grams. Um, so it can get slow. It can get slow. Um, but anything you can do to build muscle, regardless of what the ratio is, that's good. Uh, as long as then you can hold on to it, which just means, you know, not dieting too aggressively or, or using too much cardio, which means giving yourself enough time to prep and staying 
relatively lean. Like if you're going to compete at about 205 pounds and you get yourself up to 270 in the off season, you're going to lose some muscle in the process just because that you got really, really sloppy. You got a lot to clean up unless you're going to have a 30 week prep. Um, you're going to lose some muscle in the process there. So keeping things cleaner during that phase will certainly help too. I know that that doesn't totally answer exactly what you're asking Lisa, but, uh, I was trying to, trying to speak, uh, a little bit more, uh, well, generally, just because those are questions that are really hard to answer, um, just because there's so much individuality and specificity that's involved in that on a person-to-person level. Okay, uh, next up, where are we? Hey, Darren, it's Monica from North Carolina. My question is about fiber. How important is fiber as well as sugars? I remember when I was training, I had to track fiber and try to keep my sugars down to a minimum. And everything that you post only includes protein, carbs, and fats. So is fiber important or is it not? Thanks. Bye. Okay, Monica wins question of the day. Thank you, Monica. Appreciate that. Um, That's a great question. Calling me out on my lack of fiber reportage. Um, so yeah, that's a great question. So, um, is fiber important? Yes, it is. Um, why don't I report it in my macros? Like when I post, um, meals or recipes that I'm doing online, I'm like, here's proteins, carbs, and fats. Why? Well, it's way easier to report three numbers than four. Um, and then also one of the things is because I'm always trying to do things in shorthand because a lot of my Instagram posts, I cross post to Twitter, um, which has a character limit that's enforced. And so, um, what I don't want to have to do is always explain what those numbers mean if there's four of them. (laughs) So, um, but whenever I log something or I track something or I make a recipe, I'm always tracking fiber as well. I'm not necessarily concerned proactively about tracking fiber. What I will do is if there is an issue, so let's just talk about it. Let's just, let's just cut through it and let's, let's break the seal here and dive right in. If there is an issue with regularity, bowel movements, constipation, anything like that, um, at that point, that's when I start to worry about fiber intake. Otherwise, I would say because there is such a wide range and everybody's different. Like some people are fine at 15 grams of fiber. Other people need to be up closer to 60 um, in order to be regular. So um, I plug in very, very rough guidelines, but I also often will make clear, I don't really care what the number is unless we're backed up and things aren't moving well. At that point, I'm going to say, let's look at that fiber number. Let's see where it's been for the last week or so. Let's take a look at your food sources if you're following a macronutrient-based plan. Um, and let's see what we can do to get some additional fiber in. Maybe we're bringing in additional veggies. Maybe we're going to work in some uh, berries or other fruits that are a little bit more fibrous for some of our carbs. Maybe we can just do a fiber supplement. Um And then we can look at some of the actual carb sources as well. And then quality of fiber as well. Like I know a lot of people love Quest Bars. Personally, I think y'all are crazy because I think they taste like ass. Um, They have a lot of fiber, a lot of really low quality fiber. So people would take one of those and be like, I got my fiber for the day. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily uh, promise you that. So um, uh, fiber matters. Yes, I don't typically report it just because then I would have to explain the macros are uh, protein, carbs, fiber, and fat. So it's going to be PCFF. Well, okay, is that protein, carbs, fat, and then you're throwing fiber in as an afterthought, or is it fiber after carbs because it's a subset of the carbs? And then there's always the question like, if there's a, if it's a high fiber meal, okay, well, is that total carbs or net carbs then? And frankly, it's just uh, 
Monica, I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's just shit I don't care about, really. <laughs> I mean, Fiverr um, is one of those things that I track largely as a troubleshooting tool if it becomes necessary. And if it's not, then I'm going to leave it alone, and we're just going to be happy that digestion is working properly, things are moving smoothly through the body, and there aren't any issues there. So I take a very passive approach um, usually when it comes to fiber. Um, I will plug in for clients and their macronutrient targets, if that's what we have. I'll plug in a target for fiber um, just because I'm going to make an assumption about where it's generally going to, to fall because I will discount the calories from fiber in from your um, caloric total because um, those aren't calories that are getting digested and processed the same way so uh, or absorbed the same way. So um, that means if you're getting in 20 grams of fiber out of a total of, let's say, 150 grams of carbs, <clears throat> uh, that's total carbs. So your net carbs would be 130. But I always like to look at the calories just as a, a gut check to see where our overall intake levels are. So I'm going to subtract um, or I'm going to not count 80 of those calories against your total. So, you know, 20, 20 grams times four, um, just so that I can see, uh, get a more realistic uh, idea of where we're at. So I plug that target in basically just to help with my math, but not necessarily because it's a hard requirement. Like you must hit this target. hope that makes sense. So great question though. Great question. Basically what it comes down to is this fiber is the bane of my damn existence. Um, it messes up accounting with macronutrient ratios. If you use a lot of high fiber foods, um, it's something that a lot of people worry about when realistically they might not need to. To, especially if they have a normal functioning digestive system, but it is useful as a troubleshooting tool. So if we'd be like, man, I haven't had a good poop in five days. Well, okay, your highest fiber intake has been eight grams over the last five days. Cause and effect, I think we found something here. So um, that's why we want to track it, but we don't necessarily need to do it proactively, but just kind of be passive about it. Um, I think we got one more, do we? Am I, am I remembering that correctly here? I think there's another one. Hi, this is Angela calling from the great state of Washington where, yes, we have sales tax and have to pump our own gas. Um, I've been listening to your podcast archives, and there's been some great episodes on what people should look for uh, when they are looking for a coach. But I'm wondering, from a coach's perspective, what makes a good client? I'd like to know more so that I can make sure that I'm being a good, effective client for my coach um, and making sure that I'm being you know, respectful and doing the things that I should do. So I'd like to know from a coach's perspective what makes a great client in the coach's eyes. Thanks very much. Love the podcast. Bye-bye. Oh, yes, Angela, double dipping, totally allowed, no issues there. Thank you. Good question. What makes a good client? Um, so clearly it's going to depend on which coach you ask because um, you may have some um, coaches that would give you an answer legitimately like, you know, let's say it's a, it's a female figure competitor who's talking to them. It's like, what makes for a good client? What? Well, you know, I want the right, uh, shoulder to waist ratio. I want a good V taper. I want quad sweep. You got to have calves and we need to be able to get your glutes in tight. I'm like, you know what? None of that shit is anything that I care about when it comes to having a good client, you know, because whether you have that or not, I don't care. If you don't have it, that's what we're going to build. That's what we're going to work on. You don't need to have that when you come to me. But there are a lot of clients who they will, you know, a lot of coaches who will um, decide whether or not they're going to work on some, work with somebody based on their potential to win shows, which, okay, that's fine, whatever. Um, for me, I'm more about the person. Like, who are you? Let's, let's figure out a little bit. And, you know, part of this is, you know, full disclosure here, you're going to get a little bit of behind the scenes work, uh, behind the scenes insight into how I, uh, uh, think about things, 
um, on my side here when somebody first contacts me. So um, there's a form on my website um, you can fill out and it goes directly to me and it's like, hey, uh, oftentimes uh, the inquiries will be like, hey, I was searching for a contest prep coach and I found you, I have questions, blah, blah, blah. So that first email that I get from somebody I make a lot of snap judgments from that email. And then from there, I'm like, okay, open mind. We will, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes. But I'm making some assumptions right off the bat based on how you present yourself, how you communicate through that email. Because frankly, most of my clients I'm never going to meet in person. They're all over the country. I'm here in Knoxville. I'm kind of a hermit. Um, it's not like I'm in a big transportation hub or anything like that. So, you know. Not a lot of people just passing through Knoxville like, hey, I'm going to meet up with my coach. Um, nonetheless, I've had a few that are or, or come to the area and I'm like, cool, all right. So I'll, I'll, I'll work out with you, no problem. Um, but typically, I'm if we're working together, I'm never going to meet you in person, more, more than likely. So um, what that means is communication is so important. So important. How you communicate. So how you present yourself in that first email tells me so much so much. And then we'll see what happens, you know, we'll see how how follow-ups go and that kind of stuff, but I am making a lot of snap judgments on that first uh on that first email. Like if you say um I I've I've gotten some before that just say looking for a coach. I'm like, "All right, cool. So maybe, you know, you're expecting an auto response here or something, so we'll see how it goes." And so I'll be like, "All right, cool." And my typical response is, you know, Hey, good to hear from you. Thanks for writing. Appreciate you taking the time to reach out. Um, looking for a coach. So have you competed before? And then the, the game of 20 questions starts. So uh, have you competed before? Um, you know, if, if there's uh, if their name is something like uh, Tony or Pat, then I'm going to be like, oh, boy, do I assume that this person's male or female? I don't know. Um, have you competed? If you've competed before, in what division or what division are you looking to compete in? question mark without making any suggestions uh, like guide me here a little bit are you male or female <laughs> help me out here um you know uh tell me a little bit about, about yourself um how old are you what's your training experience um you know are you doing anything specific with your diet and training right now like let's let me just throw out a bunch of questions get the ball rolling here um and then sometimes i will get a response back that is really really detailed and hits on all the bullet points and clearly their initial um, their initial message was just a, a conversation starter. Like I don't know if this person's even going to respond, so I'm not going to bother trying to type out a big ass long message. Totally get that because um, there are a lot of coaches that just don't respond. <laughs> so um, and then from there it's like great. And then other times you know I'll throw back like I've got six seven questions for you here, and they answer one with a forward statement. And at that point. I have said before, be like, I don't think this is going to work because you can't communicate effectively. Um, and, and, and I will just say, you know, this is something that, you know, communication is absolutely, it, it's paramount for what we're doing here. And, you know, I asked six questions. You answered one really brief with no detail. That's not going to cut it for me. And, you know, I've, I've said before, like, I don't think this is going to work. I think you might need to find somebody that's local to you that you can see in person. Um, so the ability to communicate is the biggest thing that I look for. Um, beyond that, it is really nice if somebody is good with technology and understands um, like how to you know send large files already. I mean, I can teach you. That's fine. Um, 
But if you just have an inherent understanding of like when I say, hey, can you use WhatsApp to send me videos? Oh, yeah, no problem. Or, you know, can you use WhatsApp? What is that? I've never heard of that. Oh, it's a messaging app. It's free. You download it. Here's my phone number. Add me as a contact and just send stuff through there rather than via text because the quality is way better. You get delivery confirmation and all this stuff. And it's also my video review to do inbox, basically. So um, they're like, oh, yeah, cool. No problem. They send me stuff that way. Um, and, you know, they can they can text. They understand when it's... Um, this is going to sound really snooty, um, but they, they also understand like, oh, when, when it's appropriate text, when, when I should email instead. So basically, you know, if you've got something that's time sensitive, absolutely text it to me. Um, no issues with that at all. Um, but uh, otherwise, if it's, you know, something that's like, hey, I had some questions for you, just respond whenever. I'm like, just email those to me because if it comes in via text, I'm going to respond via text. I'm not going to re want to respond to four questions using the tiny ass little key keyboard on my phone. I'm going to want to sit at my actual computer and respond that way. So, um, and the only reason I even mention that is because I outline that pretty clearly in the uh, documentation I give to new clients. It's like, here, here's the kind of stuff you should email. Here's the kind of stuff you can text. And then videos, WhatsApp, you know, let's use that. So, um, um, and beyond that, um, the ability to send in a check-in on time. Um, if you can do those three things, if you can communicate well, you understand technology reasonably. I don't need you to be a whiz kid or anything like that. But if you can understand technology reasonably, and if you can submit a check-in on time, we're going to do just fine. Just fine. And be, be an honest and open communicator as well. Don't tell me what I want to hear, but tell me the truth and don't sugarcoat it. Um, I've had some some people that broke through huge barriers just because they they told me things that were probably a little self-incriminating and maybe a little embarrassing um but it gave us something to work from and you know we we can't really make progress going forward if we're getting kind of stuck unless we can really evaluate everything and and look at things comprehensively and have have the truth all laid out there so um those are the things that I'm looking for uh efficient, effective, honest, open communication, uh, ability to use some technology and be on time with a check-in. If you can do those three things, um, I, I foresee no barriers whatsoever. As far as like genetic potential, you know, willingness to use gear to, to get to where you want to go. Um, I could give two craps about that stuff. That, that stuff is not important to me. Um, but also being able to listen to a reality check a little bit. Like if you have um, genetics that are in the uh, lower lower third of competitive bodybuilders and you tell me you want to get up on the Olympia stage, I'm going to give you a little wake-up call and you got to be able to listen to that. <laughs> like, you know, if, if I told somebody like, I want to be on the Olympia stage for classic physique, I would need that person to tell me, hey, guess what, Darren? It ain't going to happen. You need to get your head out of your ass and uh, have a more realistic assessment of where you want to go. Um, be like, cause there, there ain't no amount of work that's going to get me up there, <laughs> you know, especially at 41. So, um, you've got to be able to have, have realistic expectations and, um, you know, be, be able to listen to somebody who's going to tell you those things. So, uh, I think part of that goes into being a good communicator as well. So I think with that being said, I think I'm, I'm done. I think, I think I got them all out. So I think that was what, seven or eight, something like that. So y'all came through and I appreciate it. So here's how it's going to work. The raffle, I'm going to do that sucker on Wednesday and I'm going to record a video and I'm going to post that to Facebook, to Instagram and to Twitter. So you can all see how I draw it and, um, who the winner is. So that's it. That's what I got. And, uh, oh, the other thing, this is kind of big. Um, I'm going to take a week off. 
So it, 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 I found out that, um, again, part of this um, podcasters group that I'm in on Facebook, I've mentioned it a few times before, um, apparently a lot of podcasts do seasons. And so they'll go on hiatus for like months at a time, and then they'll come back with season two. And then they'll do that for however, so kind of like how television shows do seasons. Um, I'm like, well, that seems silly, especially since my my goal is to, you know to use this as kind of like a a business promotional tool um, if I'm going to assign any kind of purpose to it. So it doesn't make sense to necessarily take take a lot of time off, but um, just to get caught up on some other things and um, to uh, you know work on some content, and get some interviews scheduled coming up that we've got work that I've got in the works as well. I'm going to take a week off, so there'll be no episode this coming Friday or the following Monday. So that is, if I look at the calendar here, there'll be no episode on the 7th or on the 10th, but then we'll be back on the 14th, so 11 days from now. That's when we'll be back here. So in the meantime, um, keep your eyes on Instagram at Darren underscore star, Facebook.com slash five star physique, Twitter at Darren star. The raffle winner will be um, on Wednesday, and I'll post it to all three of those videos so that you can see what's going on. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for contributing to this as well. Um, it's been awesome. We will do it again shortly for sure. Um, cause you know, if nothing else, it makes for an easy episode as far as planning, as far as I'm concerned. So it's definitely be like, okay, there's a Q and a episode. Oh, that means Darren's being lazy again. Okay, cool. Well, you know, hopefully though, um, you find it useful and you can get some stuff out of this as well. So uh, that's what I got. So I will sign out here. Thank you all for contributing. Stay tuned on Wednesday and we'll see who wins this damn thing. 